I'm going to introduce to you um, our guest this morning, Chaim Erbach. And um, 25 years ago, or a little bit more actually, uh, 25 years ago this June, Chaim and his wife Joy uh, had a great desire to see their people, the Jewish people, uh, learn about the good news of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And so they started a congregation, uh, Yeshuat Sion. Did I say that right? That's pretty good for East Tennessee, boy, I'm telling you. So, um, And 25 years ago this past June, and let's see, for the last 21, 21 years, uh, Greenwood has been hosting them, uh, where they have their worship services on Saturday morning. So Chaim and Tom had a great friendship, and uh, I inherited that, and it's been just a joy and delight. Chaim and I and his associate David, we meet normally once a month to just be with each other and pray for each other in the churches. And so he's become a friend. And I thought it'd be great for you to hear him this morning. Um, the Word of God says that we Gentiles were grafted in to God's covenant uh, with Abraham. And so he's going to open up the scriptures in, uh, in for us this morning. So I am, I'm going to read Jeremiah 31. And if you would, in your Bibles, if you would flip open to Jeremiah 31, chapter 31, verse 31, and we're going to read through verse 37, and I'm going to pray for Haim. And if you're physically able, would you please stand out of respect for God's Word? Hear the Word of the Lord. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. Because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. This is what the Lord says. He who appoints the sun to shine by day, who decrees the moon and stars to shine by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord Almighty is His name. Only if these decrees vanish from my sight, declares the Lord, will the descendants of Israel ever cease to be a nation before me. This is what the Lord says, only if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below be searched out, will I reject all the descendants of Israel because of all they have done, declares the Lord. God, we take great comfort in your covenant faithfulness and these promises. We thank you for your friend, Chaim. We pray that your spirit would be upon him now, that as he opens his mouth, Lord, your word would go forth and that your spirit would be upon us giving us ears to hear, hearts to receive and to obey, for our good and your glory. Amen. You can be seated.
sometimes feel like I'm still in the 19th century. <laughs> it's good to be here. Um, my wife and I and the rest of our congregation, Yeshua Tzion, that was not bad, by the way, uh, are very grateful that God brought us uh, to this area, to Yeshua, to uh, Greenwood Community Church in particular. Um, and uh, we've never felt like rentors. Uh, we feel like brothers and sisters. And um, we're delighted uh, that God has given you all a heart, not just for us, but uh, increasingly... Um, a heart for our people, God's people. Um, we, uh, we live in East Denver, an area that is not known for conservatism. Um, in fact, um, uh, my wife and I are raising our grandson, who is uh, almost 12, and uh, we took him to summer day camp. And uh, he came home raving about this cute little boy that uh, he has made friends with and wanted to have a play date and all of that good stuff. And uh, so one day I brought him to camp and I chatted with the boy briefly and uh, asked him, you know, some basic questions about whether his mom and dad uh, were participating, wanting to um, to have him come over to our house for a play date. And without missing a beat, he said to me, um, I'm adopted and uh, I have two dads. And uh, I gulped, didn't really have much to say, and went home and did one of these things. Okay, irrational, illogical, please explain. I obviously understood what he was saying. Uh, and then um, a week or so ago, I took him uh, to school. He is registering for uh, middle school. And uh, we're filling out the forms. And one of the questions, of course, asks about his gender, except that normally speaking, you have male, female. Hello? Uh, except in this case, it was male, female, other and I thought to myself, okay, Sodom and Gomorrah, here we are. And it was such a powerful statement to me of the kind of culture that we live in. Um, my daughter has friends, and she's, by the way, somewhere uh, in the general neighborhood of walking with the Lord. You know, it's one of those... Yes, God is there somewhere, I pray somewhere, but uh, she has a number of friends, and they invite her to come to um, Gay Pride uh, Festival, and she felt it was completely appropriate for her to do that. And we've talked and talked and talked and prayed and prayed and prayed, and by the grace of God, I was intrigued by uh, what Pastor Doug said today, that once the children are in the covenant that the Spirit of God will go after them. And that's our expectation. But I was, as I was reflecting about the passage today, what I realized 
is that, in a sense, there's really nothing new under the sun. Um, God called the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, to be a holy people. In Leviticus, which I know is everybody's favorite book, I know you all um, curl, uh, curl up with it when you go to bed at night. Um, God states, and this is to me the essence of his covenant relationship with the people of Israel, and frankly with us as well. He said, I'm a holy God, you shall be a holy people. And the Hebrew word, are you ready? I'll just give a couple of Hebrew words today, I promise. I'm not going to overload you. Um, I was raised in Israel, so for me this is natural, but I realize you folks were most likely not raised in Israel. Uh, God, the word there is kadosh, holy, set apart um, for God's purposes. You know, just as, in a sense, uh, this watch is kadosh. It is kadosh not because it is... Uh, it has any moral qualities, but because it's mine. And that's, what, that's the uh, essence of the word holy. And the people of Israel really never got it. Uh, they were clueless morally. For much, much of Israel's history, we find that the people of Israel um, were addicted not to a relationship with God, but we're addicted to following false gods. And so by the time of Jeremiah, which is where we are today, uh, we find that part of the process, part of the picture rather, was the fact that uh, in God's temple, in Jerusalem, were the, um, head, were the quarters, living quarters, for the male sacred prostitutes. And I put the word sacred in quotation marks. In other words, there were the homosexual priests that were part of the pagan worship during those days among the nations and that when Israel became very apostate, that was part of the picture. And I found it intriguing that the word for male sacred prostitute is Kadesh. Kadesh, sacred and holy, Kadosh. It is such a perversion that took place in the nation of Israel uh, in Jeremiah's time. And um, what's ironic is that as, you, as we read scripture, we are inclined to look down our long proboscis um, at the people of Israel, thinking, of course, that we are sanctified, we're set apart, we don't do these things. Um, and I'm a graduate of Denver Seminary, and I've studied church history, and I stand to tell you that in 2,000 years of church history, the church, frankly, was not a whole lot different than what the nation of Israel was. Uh, I don't need to go over... Uh, the history and even current history um, with pedophile priests and so on, I just want to point out the reality that today you have leading pastors who um, present the false teaching, the heresy, that has a very lovely name, Love Wins. 
what, what a wonderful message until you realize that the message behind the message is the fact that a particular pastor is implying that God will not subject people to punishment and hell. And recently there have been key evangelical figures stating that God actually sanctions homosexual marriages of monogamous faithful couples. Obviously, I have a hard time finding that in the Word of God, either one of those. And part of that seems to be a, uh, a touchy-feely false understanding of Scripture that God does not judge his people. God did that with Israel, of course, and punished, but God does not do that today. And yet, as we read Scripture, as we read the covenant passages, over and over and over and over again, we see the the simple fact that God is the righteous judge, period, today, tomorrow, yesterday. And that he judge, he does judge his people. And I'll talk for a minute, in a moment, what that means. But I just want to quote to you First Peter. It is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will become the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Um, in the New Testament, you find evidence of God judging his people. A good example of that, for instance... You find in the book of 1 Corinthians where the believers uh, in Corinth were very indifferent to the sacredness of the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. And Paul makes it very clear to them that they had uh, brought themselves under God's judgment to such an extent that many of them had become sick and some of them had died. And Paul attributes that to their attitude towards how, how they dealt with the sacredness of the Lord's Supper. He points this out very clearly as well in Romans chapter 2. For there will be trouble and distress for every human being who does, who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first to the Jew, then also for the Gentile. Now again, this is Apostle Paul the apostle to the Gentiles, the apostle of freedom, making very clear that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So part of what boggles my mind is as I hear believers talking about God's gracious and awesome promises. What tends to happen is that folks like to glom on to the wonderful promises, such as in Again, your favorite book, Leviticus 26. I will send rain in the season. The ground will yield its crops. The trees of the field, their fruit. You will live safely in the land. I will grant peace in the land. I will look on you with favor and make you fruitful and increase. And I will keep my covenant with you with a basic caveat. If you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands. And because of that, people then tend to ignore the other part of the package, also in here in Leviticus 26. But if you do not listen to me and carry out all these commands, I will bring upon you 
Sudden terror, wasting diseases and fever, they will destroy your sight and drain your life. I would, you will plant seed in vain because your enemies will eat it. I will make the sky above you like iron and ground beneath you like bronze. Your soil will not yield its crops, nor will the trees of the land yield their fruit. You will eat, but you will not be satisfied. Now, last time I checked, I don't think you can find that, those last statements in the Bible promise book. And my, the basic principle is simply this, from beginning to end, there's blessing in obedience, and there's judgment in disobedience. That was true for the nation of Israel. It is true for us. Um, and it's sobering. It's very sobering because we live in a touchy-feely kind of a culture that says, do whatever it is you want to do. What's right for me is right for me. What's right for you, it's right for you. Ad infinitum, ad nauseum. But think about what would happen if God would not judge. If I see a bunch of parents here. What would happen if your kids had no clue that there are boundaries? You would have something like the the scenario from Lord of the Flies, if you have read the book, you know that there was a colony of kids, and they went nuts. And we all need boundaries. We all need to have a clear sense from God that there are boundaries, that he loves us absolutely, but he expects holiness and righteousness from us, who are his people. And at this point in my life, and I've got gray hairs, at this point in my life, I get the simple fact that God is my judge. And I take comfort in that. Why? Simply because I know that where I'm on target, he will vindicate what takes place in me. Where I'm off target, he will point that out. And folks, I don't know about you, I want to know when I'm off target. Because I want to see things brought to light. By the way, not put up on the PowerPoint, but just in my own life, I want to see things brought to light so that I have an opportunity to repent. And by the way, repentance means to turn and walk 180 degrees from where you were before. I know this is all a very unsettling prospect because uh, on some level you think to yourself, you know, what would happen if God were to take my thoughts and flash them on the PowerPoint, and you shudder. Until you realize that it is not the Father's heart to bring us to a point of humiliation. It's the Father's heart to bring us to a point of repentance, where we are ashamed of our sin before Him. And when the Spirit of God moves on us, and we finally get it, and we repent, and we say, Father, forgive me. I don't want to be there. Cleanse me. And so that, folks, is the scenario you find with the people of Israel. You find obedience blessed. You find, judgment, you find disobedience judged. And during those rare times in Israel's history where the people turned to God, you had spiritual revival, and God blessed and prospered the land, just as you have in the history of the church when you had the moves of the Spirit of God come and you had revivals and there was tremendous blessing and outpouring of God's 
favor. The same basic pattern. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. So, yes, definitely, love does find a way. When there's been sin, after judgment, after refining, after purification. And, uh, uh, folks, we don't get the fact that we grieve God. Because uh, we either see him as way above transcendent, or we see him as the uh, celestial candy man. You know, we put in our quarters, I guess no, no more quarters, dollar bills, and... Uh, Boku prayers and outcome, all these blessings flowing. We really don't understand the dynamics of an emotional relationship with God. And he's an emotional being. How do we know that? We're made in his image and we're emotional. Where did that come from? It came from God. So here in in this covenant passage, God is in essence saying, Israel cheated on me with other gods and broke the marriage covenant. I was a husband to them. And they broke my covenant. I'm getting ready to marry a couple. And uh, the bride-to-be is excited and talking about the invitations and, and address and so on and so forth. The husband has some Scottish ancestry, so he's talking about wearing a kilt. Um, but that's a covenant. An agreement. They signed a piece of paper. Just as you would when you go to purchase a house. But think about what would happen if someone signs an agreement with you and then they break the agreement. Your inclination, my inclination is to say, I'm out of here. The trust is broken, relationship is torpedoed, I'm gone. And you want to peel away from this like Velcro. I am so reassured, folks, that God does not believe in Velcro relationships. You see that with Israel. You see that with the church. God has so many opportunities to Velcro apart from you and I because of the things that we do, just like he did with Israel. And what you see with this covenant is God loves us so much that he will come up with an idiot-proof solution to our sin. I will put my law in their minds. I'll write it on their hearts. In other words, I'll make it inward. I will be their God. They will be my people. This is, by the way, the essence of what God wants is to be connected to us. No longer will man teach his neighbor or man his brother, saying, know the Lord because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. In other words, what God is saying to Israel here, and remember, folks, that although the, this new covenant was expanded to include people from all nations, from the church, who were the original people with whom this covenant was made? It was made with Israel. And what God is saying is that he will take his his principles, his, his commandments, and internalize it so it becomes 
part of their DNA. And it will not be limited to a few, but it will be something that filters down to all people. Redemption is mentioned over and over and over and over again in these chapters. Read these chapters, not just these verses. You'll see that. In fact, in all the prophets, what you see is the prediction of God's severe judgment and punishment for the sin and, and, and the heart of God crying out to people, repent, and you are getting ready to go off a cliff. And then somewhere in, in these prophetic books, you find a statement saying, but there will come a time when even when all that happens, judgment comes, where I will somehow find a way to restore you. Despite your sin. And of course we see that this is not only for Israel alone. But for all of people. Because what we see with Israel spreads outwards. And it was always designed to impact all the nations. What you see with the nation of Israel folks. Is proof positive of who God is. Israel is a poster child. Of God's extravagant love for mankind. You look at the nation of Israel, you realize this is who God is. He is loving, he is faithful. Just like Paul says in 2 Timothy, if we, are fa- if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, since he cannot deny himself. This is who he is. Jeremiah, earlier in this chapter, said the same thing. The Lord appealed to, appeared to me in the past saying, I have loved you, with an everlasting love. In other words, God's love is consistent. He doesn't peel away from us. And the last few verses of this section put it even more strongly. This is what the Lord says, only if the heaven above can be measured and the foundation of the earth below be searched out will I reject all the descendants of Israel because of all they have done. God deals with reality. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't, he doesn't um, put uh, Photoshop touches to our sin. It's right there. However, what he says is, I'm here. I haven't gone away. And by the way, I turn to my uh, favorite source of um, absolute information, Wikipedia. And uh, found that Wikipedia states that the observable universe is about 91 billion light years at the present time. And I found that the light year is 6 trillion miles. So the universe may be 10 to the 21st power in size. And, of course, each one of us can really explain what what that means. And then it goes on to say the size of the whole universe is not known and and may be infinite. Hello? So what the Lord is saying, the, the universe cannot be measured, okay? That's reality. Since that is the case, that God is saying, I will not reject the nation of Israel for all the rotten things they've done. So think about the implications. God's relationship with the nation of Israel, despite the broken covenant, God's relationship with Israel is secure. 
Our relationship with God as individuals is secure, despite all the stuff that we do. He's consistent. He's consistent. And what boggles my mind is, is sometimes believers look at this and where the word Israel appears, they insert the word church for the good stuff. And then whenever bad stuff appears, well, it is for Israel. I'm sorry, I, I just don't get it. So another implication here is simply that when we, lived in, when we live in a difficult, increasingly godless, post-Christian, post-modern world, we can, we can go on a defensive. And you know that in the old days, as the wagon trains were coming across the country, the bad guys, the Indians, were come charging, and the settlers would form circles, would quickly get the wagons in a circle to protect themselves. We, as believers, tend to do that. We get into holy huddle. We get defensive. And the Word of God consistently calls on us not to get inward, but to get outward. Where sin abounds, where sin increases, the grace of God has to increase even more. Part of what happens when we are saying that we want to be inward and form our circle, we're saying that the kingdom of God lacks the power to penetrate the kingdom of darkness. Remember, folks, that that the gospel exploded from Jerusalem to all corners of the then-known world in a very godless time. Remember that one of the emperors that these believers lived under was Mr. Nero, you know, the guy who burned Rome and threw the believers into the lions. And yes, we live in a godless society. Let me throw something else out into the mix here. Since we've been here at Greenwood, the Jewish community has been moving out in this direction faster than any place else in Metro Denver. There are five, at least five major Jewish institutions that have moved into this area. And all around here, you have somewhere around 25% of the community that is Jewish does not know their Messiah and needs to hear it from you folks. You are the Bible that they will read. And we are here to encourage you, to pray with you, to collaborate in any way we possibly can, to see to it that the kingdom of God expands into the Jewish community that surrounds you, just as we are wanting and engaged in doing that wherever it is that God has planted us. And remember, folks, that when Jeremiah is speaking these awesome words, he's not in church singing hymns. He is consistently opposed by false prophets that say, this is what God says, don't listen to this idiot Jeremiah. He also happens to be um, under under guard at at the house of excuse me at the courtyard of of the king's guard, and one more thing too, 
the Babylonians are surrounded, surrounding Jerusalem and putting it under siege. Gutsy. And one more thing too before I forget. God says to him, Jeremiah, I want you to send your nephew and purchase a piece of real estate and make it a public declaration in front of all these folks saying, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, houses, fields, vineyards again will be bought in the land. Again, remember that the Babylonians are surrounding the city and he is under lock and key. And I believe that's the kind of statement God expects from you and I to make. Our society is not going to get more godly. We can observe and see the direction it's heading. But our God is greater than that. Can you say amen? And we can either come into a defensive circle, or we can say, where sin abounds, grace has to abound much more. In other words, God wants to touch people around us. He has redemptive plans. And we want to engage in it. I want to just with close with one of this, one, one bit of information. The church in China had been under communist rule for somewhere about 70 years. And after 70 years under communism, the stats that I've seen tell me that the Chinese church is the biggest one in the world with about 100 million believers in Jesus. Now what does that tell you? Simple reality that we see in the word of God and in history, that the power of God is at work as much or even more under adverse circumstances. The kingdom of God expands in the face of opposition. And so we live in a culture that is Kadesh, that takes what is holy and perverts it, like the sacred prostitutes in Israel's time, and God calls on you and I to be Kadosh, to see to it that our holiness is evident through our life, through our testimony. Let's pray. Thank you, Father God, that you take us pots of clay with all our weaknesses and all our sins and all our junk. And Lord, um, thank you that you're greater than that. Thank you, Lord, that you not only sustain us, but you give us holy boldness to want to press forward and to be your agents of redemption in this day and age. Thank you, Lord, for the awesome example that you give us in and through your people Israel. Cause us, Lord God, to be faithful as you are faithful. In the name of Yeshua, Jesus our Messiah. Amen.